from over the internet and into your MP3 player. This is That Gay Podcast. Thanks, Ben. This is That Gay Podcast for the week ending June 24th, 2016. Hey, guys, I'm Matt. Hey, Matt, I'm Troy. Happy Pride, I'm Jeff. And we've got Chris and Bobby and Caleb with us tonight. Hi, guys. Hey. Hello. All right, so Caleb, we have you for ten minutes, and you wanted to talk about TV, as we and we all wanted to talk about TV and uh, gays on TV. So let's hit, let's hear what we can cram in in ten minutes. Go. Um. Oh gosh, ten minutes now. We've got all this time pressure. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, now you have nine. So. Okay, excellent. Well, uh, I don't know. Uh, there's so much, especially I don't know. My fiance and I watch so much streaming stuff now that uh, the stuff that we're watching is like you know Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and I, you know Titus. Uh, the Titus Andromedon character played by Titus Burgess. I mean, I know a lot of people say that he kind of, you know, uh, can, you know, it's like he's playing stereotypes or even, I mean, some people have used the word minstrelsy, which I don't necessarily think so. Who I do love is his boyfriend character, Mike, from kind of the back half of this most recent season. He's like this, uh, you know, blue-collar uh, New Yorker type, and he's just, you know, sweet and lovable and so fascinating. Do you guys watch that show? Mm-hmm. Not yet. It's one I've been told to have. I have to watch. <laughs> it's I don't know. Uh, you're, you, if you love Thirty Rock and you love that kind of slapstick humor, great. If you don't, you're really not going to like this show. But uh, oh, I'm going to love it, it then. <laughs> it, it, it's, so, it's so silly, and I think my favorite uh, character on there is Carol Kane. She just plays this like you know old batty landlord figure, and she's just amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Titus uh, Burgess going to be on Match Game. They're bringing that back, which, speaking of gays on TV, I mean, wasn't that one one of the great shows? Yeah, because you had, you had... Wait, was Charles Nelson Riley gay? Uh, he might have been. <laughs> still out, I think. <laughs> oh, dear. But no, you know, going back, seriously, you know, when... Back in the day of Charles Nelson Riley, no, there really weren't very many, you know, people who were out openly gay on television. Whether it's, you know, whether it's behind the scenes saying, hey, behind, yeah, behind, that's what I mean, behind the scenes, you know, actors who were openly out or characters who were openly out on TV that were portraying, you know, a positive image that weren't being the the Jack Trippers of the world where it's just a joke or the uh, Jody's from a soap where it's just a joke. Yeah, exactly. I mean, or even like the, I mean, like the Charles Nelson Rileys and the Paul Lins who are, you know, being themselves on like the... Hollywood Squares and Match Games and all those. I mean, they were, you know, playing up a very, very specific kind of mimsy gay stereotype uh, of the era, which, I mean, visibility for back then, that's wonderful. I mean, the fact that they, you know, someone like, you know, my grandparents could, you know, love and enjoy the antics of Charles Nelson Riley and Paul Lind and all that. Just, I mean, I think that's, you know, kind of helped pave the way. But, I mean, you're still dealing with kind of these stereotypes, whereas now you've got all these wonderful, like, kind of very nuanced characters and, you know, gay people who can kind of be more than just, and lesbians who can kind of be more than just a particular, you know, stereotype or plot device. And I feel like the explosion of cable and in particular streaming entertainment has freed up producers to create those kinds of multi-layered characters probably easier than one could do in a you know, six or seven channel universe. Yeah, absolutely. And also, yeah, because, you know, for them, they're looking for a certain slice 
of an audience as opposed to, you know, the big networks are still just trying to get mass numbers and, you know, at a certain point you have to start sanding off all the rough edges to uh, make the program appealing to a certain, you know, mass audience, whereas you can get away with so much stuff like sexual fluidity on Orange is the New Black and, you know, stuff like that, which I just, I mean, it's not mainstream stuff, but I just love that we have that stuff out there now. Yeah, I, I was always, and I loved this show, and my husband and I both loved it. We were shocked that the new normal got on NBC for a season. We couldn't believe that show made it to series. Uh, I mean, it only lasted, what was it, 13 weeks? But it was, you know, uh, it's one of those shows that probably would have a second or third season in a streaming universe, but um, uh, was, you know, uh, something that I certainly didn't think I'd ever see on broadcast over the air uh, television. Yeah, well, yeah, and you look at Modern Family, which you know, I mean, obviously to bring that up, and you have you, you have a gay couple on there that is there for comedic effect, but they're not the mincy gays that we saw in you know the late seventies, early eighties, and they're you know actually they're going through what a lot of gay parents yeah. are going through right now yeah. these days. Well, and, and I mean, they, they are, uh, you know, kind of more, you know, middle to effeminate. Neither of them are super, super butch, but they're, they are so in like a nuanced and interesting way as opposed to like just being a punchline or a plot device. But you can, like, for instance, with Mitch's character, when you see him with Claire, I mean, yeah, he's, you know, he's not, he's not butch, but you see them together and the way they interact and it's like, Oh, well, of course they're clearly they're part of the same family because they kind of act the same way. I mean, I, I think they've, um, I think they do a really nice, that show is one of the best at sort of casting is we've talked about here, sort of multi-layered characters and, you know, uh, and, and particularly integrating that, that couple into the rest of that family. I mean, yeah, it's absolutely. super true to life, and I think uh, for uh, with Hollywood exaggeration, which everybody loves. You know, wouldn't well, everybody love to have a patriarch who's a you know a closets millionaire? Um, but uh, you know, I think a lot of families can identify with uh, with some of the stuff that they deal with on that show. Now, Caleb, you were talking about visibility. You and I were talking about that a little bit earlier. Uh, hit on that for just a second. Uh, well, I mean, we've definitely kind of reached a tipping point as far as general gay visibility. But the great thing is it's allowing, like I say, more nuanced characters. Do any of you guys watch uh, Mr. Robot on USA? Yeah. No, but everybody says it's a great show. It is really, really good. I mean, it can get a little uh, dark, and obviously, it's kind of about the you know current uh, you know current state of economic affairs in the world and uh, all that other stuff. But there's this boss character, uh, Gideon Goddard, to the character's name, and he is you know kind of an an affluent gay uh, you know tech uh, manager type person, but he's so so like kind of ethically not shady but uh you know compromisable and it's just something it's it's nice to see that it's not the extreme of oh it's the gay guy so we got to treat him with kid gloves and you know he's got to be the you know uh, moral hero or it's the you know 70s and 80s you know those uh just plot devices of plot devices of the evil gay so if you guys get a chance i mean and uh i forget the actor's name but the gideon goddard character is just so so interesting to me yeah, it is nice to see, you know, we've gone from, you know, the sort of mincy gay or in the 80s, the victim, 
Um, and even into the 90s, I mean, you think about, uh, um, you know, poor uh, Doug Savant's character on Melrose Place, um, you know, where he, the guy was barely on the show and something awful was happening to him while he was on it. You know, it's it's nice to see that it's that producers are allowing LGBT characters to sort of represent every, you know, a lot of different kinds of motivations. Yeah. Maybe I'm off base here, but it seems like those characters have been passed them to the minority LGBT characters because we're seeing a lot of the white characters get the more diverse LGBT representation, but the black characters that we're talking about, like Titus, are the more mincy, more flamboyant gay characters, and we don't see a lot of those characters in the minority community. You know, you're right. That's true. Yeah, um, that's absolutely fair. Yeah, I think the one, well, I don't know. I'm trying to think about a... There's uh, True Blood. You know, we, yeah. have, we have True Blood, Lafayette, Reynolds, the character name, I don't know the actor's name, but he's another example of where it's just a very flamboyant character, but he's a minority gay character. The Wire, I don't know that character. He's more masculine. Yeah, definitely, definitely more masculine. Uh, what was it, Omar? Or? And the character's name's Omar Little, but I don't... Uh, is that the actor name? I don't oh, that's the character name, for sure. Yeah. Well, and then, and you know, and then you have to go back to, like, Keith from Six Feet Under, yeah. um, who I mean, is another sort of uh, example of that. You might have well, um, Eddie, Justin Suarez, but that's another, you know, he, the minority characters are the ones that took over those really effeminate roles. Um, I hate to do this. We need to say goodbye to Caleb. Your ten minutes have gone, my friend. All right. Well, it was good to chat with you guys. It went by real quick. So thanks so much, and uh, you guys have a great weekend. Thanks, Caleb. That means I get the tag in now, right? Matt, yay! I do want to. I do want to ask. Um, I haven't watched it. Um, does the Sun and Empire fit into the category of the minority sort of flamboyant, or is he more of like a stronger character? Never seen the show before. You know, I don't think. And we're talking about Jesse Smollett's character. Um, right. I don't know that 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 he fits that the sort of. I, mincy gay or evil gay particularly i actually think that show does a really nice job of uh, uh, uh with his he's not one note at all right but that shows highlighting the entire community yeah right mm-hmm. and frankly <laughs> frankly cookie could almost be a gay man just with her entrances alone jesus god <laughs> i want to see a, i want to see a supercut of every time taraji p henson walks into a room on that show well, it would look like Bob the Drag Queen is chocolate yeah, chip cookie. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know? This. Oh, no, wait, there's more this. It would be so good. Um, the other question I wanted to ask was, do you think that gay characters are being thrown into shows just to throw in a, a gay character? Like, are they being sprinkled into every show so they can say, oh, look, here, we have a gay. Because I I feel like some shows just throw in a gay character just to throw in a gay character without really adding to the storyline. Maybe on form. I I was going to say, the show that kind of fits that, that pops to mind for me, is Archer. But as as the cartoon (laughs) is, everything about it is a joke. And so the fact that they have a gay character, it's not they like kind of hint at it and make jokes jokes about it, but he's not necessarily influencing the plot because mm. he's gay. But I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing either. Cause right. he's just treated like another agent 
although there he just gets his own unique jokes. That's basically the only difference. Right? Yeah, well, that and he's actually one of the few, you know, people in that show who's kind of competent at their job. Mm-hmm. Kind of. You know, he and <laughs> he, I mean, he and Lana are really the two who are Lana. <laughs> Well, I do have to. I do have to wonder though. You know, is that one of those things where, eventually, in that show, and again, this is a show I don't watch, so I, just because I haven't got into it, which I need to, mm-hmm. um, where that's going to be thrown in as a plot device later on. You know, I'm highly where doubtful we- of that. Yeah, <laughs> just the so. writing that has existed to this point, I don't see it being a major plot device. Mm-hmm. No, no, I don't think so. But um, do you guys see where I'm going with that? Because I, I've heard comments from not even like just online comments but just comments from like some of my friends who said you know they were watching a show and they're like oh they just threw him in just so they could add a gay character to the show well i feel like that is true with both scripted and reality shows Mm -hmm. now we haven't even touched on reality shows yet you know the man because then you have, like, you know, the Amazing Race where you have the to- the I, I, I hate to say the token gay couple. Right. Um, Big brother. Survivor where you have the, the, you know, the gay guy there. Surprised we haven't gone that way with Bachelor or Bachelorette yet, but, you know. I oh, what, think, was, what was that one show? Um, do you remember the... Yeah, was that um, the... Uh, I'm that sorry. To, I'm brain farting right now. <laughs> whatever her name is. She was a bisexual... And so she had both men and women on her dating show. And I think she had a second season, which kind of gills the point. But I was mean, that that uh, Tila Tequila? Yes. yes. I was completely spacing on her name. But um, I mean, I don't necessarily say I could compare it very well to The Bachelor or Bachelorette, but that's probably the closest well, I can think you, of. You guys might remember there was a show on, I believe it was Bravo. Does that that sounds about yeah. right? Uh, about. The one where they had the guy who was trying to find his perfect mate or whatever, and yeah. they threw in like random straight guys, and he had to determine. Or he oh, had to, yeah. oh my god, yes! Oh, and god. I was so pissed off at that show, and rightfully so, because that was like my entire dating life in college, trying to figure out who was gay and who wasn't. Uh, the show uh, was, in fact, on Bravo. It was called Boy Meets Boy. And, Thank you. And um, somewhere in my house is a picture of me with James, the guy from that show, uh, and Ted Allen, who that summer was on Queer Eye. Mm-hmm. It was the, the one That's thing right. It was like, like the gay hour on the Bravo. The summer of 2003 in one snapshot. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That was a fairly groundbreaking show. Right. And James had Andra, his BFF slash fruit fly, who was helping, uh, helping him select and also serving up drama when he didn't seem able to, which was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, oh God. Very, very awful reality TV memories. But it makes me wonder if that show kind of tainted the whole reality dating thing for the rest of us. Uh, I don't know. I feel like it's been so long and the bachelor has gotten, has really made that formula click. Like how many seasons has the bachelor slash at been on? Like 50? I think like 
I was going to say, aren't they at least on 20-something? I, I cannot keep track. And, of course, the churn, the brilliance with the churn is the one jilted Bachelor slash Et gets to come back to do their show right. the following season. And it's like, you know, so, you know, so many, uh, <laughs> so many drama queens, so many roses. Um, it's just, <laughs> it's, I don't know. I feel like if a producer were to do that, Mm-hmm. With with using sort of the bachelor slash et template, I think it would probably work now. I mean, it would have to be something you would have to do on logo or right. stream because I'm not entirely sure you could get it placed on over the air. Maybe I can know. I can almost guarantee you wouldn't be able to unless it was something like CW or something like that. Yeah, maybe this is. An extension of the RuPaul Empire. Yeah. World of Wonders should do a dating show. That would be an interesting show. I'd probably watch it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that does bring up a good, you know, question. I mean, what's next? What is next for the gay community on television? When I say television, I mean, you know, not just cable, but also broadcast as well. I would like to see something realistic, like something that comes out of, like, the pages of something like we deal with. Uh, I um, think a lead character in a procedural. Hmm. Your your, uh, I mean, Law and Order is is the one everybody thinks of. Um, I was thinking like I was thinking you know. CSI West Hollywood. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Now that CSI, would be it. That'd be fun. CSI Boys Town. Um, CSI P Town. <laughs> um, yeah. That something of that nature. I think would you know. But I mean, where it's where the person's orientation is incidental to the stuff that's happening on the show. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so you, you know. want it to be almost like a post gate kind of. I think that character. Well, I think that is. Um, I think that's exactly what I'm saying. That that it's you know it's not a plot device necessarily, uh, or it's not the sort of. Oh, we have to have this scene to explain that they're gay, mm-hmm. um, but it just it sort of happens organically over the course of, you know, producing the show. But I, it actually has me thinking that it would sort of be fun to write a stage show about a gay procedural, like what that would what that would look like. I think that might be kind of fun. Maybe I'll write that. That will be CSI Boys Town, and I'll stage it. Well, I'll, I'll get a theater space, and I'll stage it somewhere. That would be fun. <laughs> We're all invited, right? You're in your who again? I'm sorry. You're not on the list. <laughs> but you need to get Matt Bomer to star in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll work. I'll work <laughs> that on that. That didn't sound very enthused. Well, I mean, you know, the casting, casting is an exhausting process. <laughs> So RuPaul, wait a minute, Reed just finished up RuPaul's season. Oh, but there's a new season coming. All-Stars! So, they have finally decided to give us the season that they've been teasing for, like, the last two years for a second All-Stars run. And I am beyond excited for it. Um, Primarily because I wanted some of the queens who were coming back, I felt got robbed a little bit or at least when they were eliminated they they weren't shown in the right light like Katya I'm I'm still a little bit bitter about that so I'm beyond no, thrilled you're bitter about that no Kennedy did not deserve that 
No, you're right about that. And Katya um, deserved to come back. She should have yep. won that season. So she the fact did. she's coming back, I am so excited. There was, you know, Katya, she kind of got inside her head a little bit too much. She beat herself in that along with a little bit of, I think, crack smokery on the part of the judges. Yeah. Um, but, uh, she definitely deserves to have, uh, to have another mm-hmm. shot. I was also really glad to see Tatiana on this list, who we've not seen since, you know, she was, she'd been doing drag for, I think, almost literally an hour and a half before she got cast on the show. Basically. And, and I, and it, and frankly, I would love, to, you know, she was, she was beautiful. And I think her, her Britney uh, on Snatch Game was really good uh, and sort of unexpectedly funny and smart. And I would like, I'm looking forward to seeing how the ensuing years have treated her in terms of her maturity and her poise and her, uh, her performance skills. I think that's, and she you know, just I looks, think that's really cool. Mind you, I can only go off of the cast pictures, but she's looking great. Like, yeah. She's looking significant. Not not to be a read on the season two cast, but she's looking a lot better than she did on season two. Well, no, you're right about that. <laughs> uh, so Alyssa Edwards and Coco Montrese are back. What do you guys think? I I cannot shrug hard enough. Yeah, I really can't. I was over there at their whole drama during their season, um, and I I thought actually that Coco was kind of salty about it, and I didn't really like her attitude. Um, uh, Alyssa is so oblivious and so inside of herself that she's actually one of the best characters in Drag Race history, I think. And sort of uh, and in this unintentionally hilarious way. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad Alyssa's back. But Coco, when I saw that, I was like, oh, God. And here's what worries me about this. And Chris, I'll, I, I want to hear your thought about this. Uh, if this is a prelude to putting everybody in pairs like they did the first All-Star season, I'm not going to be happy. I'm I'm not going to be too thrilled either, but I can almost tell you if they do, I sense a sort of Pandora and Mimi combo with Coco and Alyssa. Mm-hmm. And it, mind you, I'm saying this primarily, well, one, I just noticed there are literally five season five girls on the All-Stars cast. So they're pretty much all going to dominate it, but I can just tell that if they do the pairings, that really, I can see Alaska and Adore going together, I can see Detox and Roxy, Ginger and Katya, and then Fifi and Tatiana. Mm. Like, I feel like those pairs represent a lot of similarities in their drag styles, and just their performances. Yeah. So, I mean, I really don't want to see pairs, because frankly, Pandora got robbed. Yes. Um, Who's Kelly Mantle? What? Hmm? My list says Kelly Mantle's going to be on it, but I don't recognize that name. No, I I think that was a wish list. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Kelly Mantle was the first eliminated from season six. Oh. Um, They'd split up to season six, opening into two big openings, and Kelly went in the first group. Okay. She, She was one of the honorable mentions. Yeah. Which, don't get me wrong, there have been some funny queens in those first eliminations, but at the same time, sorry, you got your your five minutes of fame, everybody else has 
more episodes to make. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. The I, you know, so you see the Alyssa versus Coco. I thought it was interesting. They brought back all of Alaska talks. Oh my God, they did. I, and I mean, I've, I've kind of seen them separately because Alaska kind of went off and did her own thing. Smartly. And I haven't even seen, um, Roxy, but mind you, I haven't been searching too deeply. <laughs> Roxy is, I mean, Roxy's really active on Instagram. She's, uh, she's fierce. She's, She's lost a bunch of weight. Um, she she looks really good, and I um, I also know that after her season, and of course you remember her season, she was just awful to Jinx. The yeah, whole time, and was I think fairly sincere after that season when she saw it played back and realized what a yeah. c word she had been. Um, was really sincere about apologizing and trying to make it right and. She and had a little bit too much nerve. Yes. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad she's going to put on her shiny sequenced gown again and uh, and come on, because I think it's she's a, a it's great It's a sequence dress. Sequence gown. And she is, you know, she has one of the best. She is the only take-off-your-wig lip sync that's acceptable in Drag Race history. Well, yeah, she had a second wig. Exactly. This thing, you don't never, go bald. Never take off your wig unless you have another wig on underneath, darling. <laughs> August twenty fifth, eight yeah. p.m. It's going to be a ninety minute first episode, oh. and judges are going to be in addition to Rue, uh, Miss Elvisage, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Michelle Visage, Carson Cressley, and Todrick Hall. I am so excited for Todrick. Oh, Toddy, that's He's such a great so cat. That's such a great judge. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, well, let debuts in August. In the meantime, uh, we are going to Weekly Obsessions. Bobby, let's start with you. What are you obsessed with this week, sir? Um, the Democratic sit-in. I'm very political, so that's been my obsession all week, following the Senate filibuster. I was that's surprised funny. when I woke up the next morning and he was still going. Yeah, I really thought after the filibuster, I had seen my Democratic excitement for the year, and then their Rep. Lewis really went for it. I was very excited. I didn't think we would see this type of fight for gun control in our lifetime, really. Now, were you one of those people who was glued to it nonstop from from start to, to finish? Or? Um, I probably shouldn't say that because I have a job, but yes, I have been glued to it every day. I I literally have been tweeting and writing and talking about it nonstop for days. Just gun violence in general. Anti's trying to end gun violence for weeks now, but it's it's just been amazing to me. It gives me chills to watch it, to see civil disobedience in our house by our representatives who really just haven't been acting on issues like they should be for a very long time. So it's great to see them doing their jobs for once. There is uh, there are a couple of stories out of this that out of the sit-in uh, that I thought were interesting. And the first one was uh, the resourcefulness of some of the Democrats in the well when the C-SPAN camera shut off because, of course, they're controlled by the leadership. Uh, the presence of mind to get on Periscope, which, is, which has gotten more publicity uh, in the last week than it had like since it was invented. Oh, between uh, that and C-SPAN, I mean, that well, does, yeah. Yeah, I mean, who, who has ever said, oh, my God, you got to watch C-SPAN now, like ever? Um, right. But uh, the presence of mind of some of the Democrats in the well to fire up their smartphones and turn on Periscope. And here's the other story that I thought was really amazing. 
Um, one of the participants in the sit-in was a suburban Chicago representative named Tammy Duckworth. I was she's, just going to say that. She's an Iraq War veteran who lost both of her legs as a helicopter pilot. Uh, she went on to be head of Veterans Affairs here in Illinois um, and uh, is running for the U.S. Senate uh, seat that's currently held by a fairly moderate Republican, also a veteran uh, named Mark Kurt. Um, cell phones, smartphones aren't really allowed in the well of the Senate. Um, Representative Duckworth smuggled hers in in her prosthetic leg. Yep. Nice. Which I, which I thought was badass. Regardless of how you feel about her politically, um, and there's certainly a lot of discussion about, you know, to what extent the sit-in was a, you know, election year politically driven stunt. And indeed, Representative Duckworth is in a, is in a very, is in a tight race in a very competitive Senate race here in Illinois. That's just badass. I'm yeah. sorry. I tweeted that yesterday. I had 160 likes, you know, within minutes of tweeting about her doing that. It was completely heroic for someone who's already an American hero. It's great. Jeff, what are you obsessed with this week, sir? Uh, I'm obsessed with Brexit. I've been watching that too. It's been yeah. I here's the thing. I don't know how I feel about it. Um, I understand what happened. I think. Uh, I think there are a lot of people in rural parts of England, particularly, who feel as though who feel the way a lot of people in the U.S. do that. You know, the relative prosperity uh, of the last few years have kind of left a lot of people behind and trade deals have not worked out the way that they were sold when they uh, went into effect. And, um, you know, uh, and that's probably what drove a lot of the vote to leave the EU. Now, um, the mind you, the United Kingdom was always sort of a reluctant eu participant they never adopted the euro you know they still they're still on the pound there um and i think in my recollection of that time was that they were they sort of well, okay we'll do this but only because you guys are um so i i'm not necessarily surprised that they got out i mean if you look at the breakdown on the map of how how people voted the vote to remain was pretty much central london sort of metropolitan london and Scotland, every other part of uh, the island of England voted to leave. And you look at the demographics of that, too, where it was almost all Older. under 40s, stay yeah. over 40s. Right. Go. And you get, I mean, once you, once you sort of unpack this sort of easy talking point about xenophobia and, and racism and that kind of thing, because I don't know that Which a lot of people... play a big part of it. Well, but I'm not sure it motivated the majority of people who voted to leave the EU. I think there is, and you see it a little bit in in the appeal of Donald Trump. And I'm not, and I'm not necessarily here to advocate one way or the other. I'm merely suggesting that in these campaigns, which are different in a lot of ways, I think they both speak to a certain group of people who economically at least have been left behind mm-hmm. and and there are you can certainly make the case that no political party is really speaking to those people 
um, the here or there. Um, so you get, you kind of understand where that comes from. Now, is it a good thing for the UK? I have no idea. Will it be a good thing for us? I also have no idea. What I do know is as of our recording this, the exchange rate is presently $1.36 to the pound, which is about as good as it's been in my lifetime. Um, so so I'm now trip to Europe now. So I'm now right. obsessed with trying to figure out how to get to London. And perhaps, perhaps I can convince my husband to meet me in London. Maybe that's more advantageous than meeting in Spain or some other place. I smell uh, a uh, That Gay Podcast meetup in London. <laughs> as long as we can all fit into your carry-ons. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. That oh, would, dear. That would be something. That so, would be something. An aside, so our our business show today had a – we actually got a, a guest from London to talk about what everybody was saying about the about the vote and that sort of thing. And, and, and the producer was like, I have no idea what he's saying, but he sounds so good. I'm like, yeah, I think he's reading the owner's manual for a refrigerator. <laughs> but everybody is so enamored of the accent. Yeah, you're taking eyes negative. So wait, you had Richard Quest on? Is that it? Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> I I've been glued to his coverage on CNN. I, I saw Richard Quest. I look up. I'm like, there he is, the man with the best teeth in all of basic cable. <laughs> Chris, what are you obsessed with this week, good sir? So I found out that Adele's album 25 is finally on Spotify. So, I mean, I haven't quite given it the time it deserves yet. So I'm stuck between, um, oh, Lord, what was the song? Give Give My Love to Your Lover. Mm -hmm. And then a completely different song, um, Wherever I Go by One Republic. The main reason that that one's on the list is I've had more time to listen and love it than Adele's 25, but I will probably be listening to her the rest of this next week. <laughs> nice. All right, Matthew. Troy, I'm going to introduce you to another Troy. Oh? Uh, Troy Savon. Oh! I love Troy Savon. All right, so uh, his album Blue Neighborhood uh, came out last year, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Second single dropped this week, and it's a collaboration with him and Alicia Cara. And uh, they uh, did the uh, duet version of Wild. And oh my gosh, it sounds so good. Leave this neighborhood. Never knew love could hurt this and uh, it's available on Spotify, iTunes, there's YouTube. Pretty much anywhere you can get music. Uh, all right. Well, I've got. I've actually got two for this week. Uh, one of them is a song that's actually been out a couple of years, but I keep hearing it because my Spotify keeps pulling it up, and I just can't stop listening to it. It's called Geronimo by Shepard. Yeah. Oh, that's a good song. So say Geronimo, say I, I know it's been out for a long time, but oh my god, it is just such is just such a good feel and bounce to it, and I'm like, as it's I. A- I hear it as I'm running, and I'm like, oh, this is, this is great. It's exactly. an absolutely great running song, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And the other one is, we talked a little bit, bit, bit about this uh, before the show with uh, Caleb. Um, Match Game and Pyramid are this weekend. Oh, yeah, oh, I yeah. can't wait for that. <laughs> and that is going to be so much fun. Oh, my God, Michael Strahan's going to be doing uh, Pyramid, and Alec Baldwin's doing Match Game. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you were showing me some of the uh, preview clips from from Pyramid earlier this week, and Strahan's got it. Like, I, I think he's going to be awesome on the show. And uh, at Match Game, I've 
still a little bit on the fence on that one, but I think it's going to be decent. I think it's a matter of how they write the questions. Yeah. Because the sample that I got from the match game question, or the sample match game question that they aired was uh, not quite the strongest. No, but, uh, and we were talking about this again earlier, um, that you can't, it, it's, we've gone past the day and age where you can write the word boobs on a card and hold yeah. it up and get a laugh out of it. Yeah, my only hope for that show is that it isn't the match game version of the Steve Harvey family feud. <laughs> Which, you know. Makes me weep. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so that's all Sunday night on uh, ABC. Yay. Uh, well, Bobby, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and we want to thank Caleb for joining us. And uh, again, thanking uh, Caleb's fiance, Caleb, for letting us <laughs> steal him for a little while this week. Well, this that's, not, that's not going to be confusing at all. <laughs> no, no. Well, no, that's going to do it for tonight's show. You guys want to do this again next week? Sure. Sure. All right, we'll do it then. Until then, take care. Deuces. Bye. This is Ben Patrick Johnson for That Gay Podcast, a presentation of Attuned Productions.